Hello and welcome to School Growth Mastery, produced by Enroll Hand, where we help schools, preschools, colleges and universities find their voice, connect with their ideal parents and grow their enrollment. We will bring on a diverse list of guests from school heads, admissions officers, marketing experts, parents and more, each with a unique insight into how you should grow your school in this changing landscape. Thank you for listening. Hello, Michael, and uh, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Great. So today in this episode of the School Growth Mastery podcast, we have uh, Mike Soskill with us. Uh, Mike is is many things. Um, while I was doing the research for this podcast episode, I I was um, watching videos and and reading articles and and finding various awards and recognitions you you received. So why don't you tell us uh, briefly, you know, what you what you Basically, what is your your current role and what you've done in the recent years? Sure. So right now, I teach fourth and fifth grade science at an elementary school in northeastern Pennsylvania. Uh, I was the 2017-18 Pennsylvania Teacher of the Year, and in 2016, I was recognized by the Global Teacher Prize as one of the top 10 teachers in the world. Uh, recently, I have been working on two things. Uh, one, I co-authored a book called Teaching in the Fourth Industrial Revolution that seriously looked at how we can balance technology usage with keeping education rooted in empathy and humanity. Uh, and I am also the vice president of the Pennsylvania Teachers Advisory Committee, which endeavors to create a pipeline between education decision makers and those who are currently in the classroom. Okay. That's really interesting. And uh, I'm sure that from... Um, for. When was the the first time that you started having um, an additional role to your main teaching role? So it's been like all of those things have happened in the last 10 years or more? Yeah, so really, uh, really some of my teacher leadership work started um, about a decade ago, give or take. Um, back in 2012, I was recognized with the Presidential Award for Excellence in Math and Science Teaching here in the United States. And uh, through that, I think my eyes were opened to the importance of teachers advocating for students and for the profession uh, outside the classroom. I don't think that is something that I had seriously considered um, before um, 2012, but once once I saw the importance of teachers getting involved in those discussions, uh, I knew that um, with a platform came the responsibility to make sure that I was giving back. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's actually really interesting that you're still a teacher because I know you know many people uh, that that had the path that you had. Um, they 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 you know sometimes they just switch roles, they stop teaching, and they move forward into um, I, I don't know they work with uh, foundations or research organizations or government consulting and so on. So it's really good that you you still have the face to face contact with the children because. Ultimately, that's I I understand I I guess at least that that's what gives you the, the the drive to keep on going, right? Sure, I I love working with my students. I, I I love my students, and I love being in a place where I get to come to work and make a difference every day. And and more importantly, I get to empower them to see how the learning that happens in school can uh, allows them to make a difference in the world and and to make their world better. But I think it's important that systemically we look at. Why teach? Why so many highly recognized teachers are leaving the profession? I think that that's a that's a problem. Um, in in 
other countries outside of the United States, it's a lot easier to take on teacher leadership positions without leaving teaching. And because some of our best teachers, some of our best teacher leaders are stepping out of the classroom, uh, it causes a disconnect where they are now involved in, in some of those decision-making processes, but they no longer have direct contact with kids. And I think it's important for us to find ways as an education system to allow teachers who are in the classroom to have uh, direct direct access to decision makers so that those decisions can be informed um, and and be what's yeah. best for kids. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And, uh, uh, you know, I personally and as a company, we follow a lot of the trends and what's happening in the space because obviously we work with schools. So, you know, we need to be we need to understand all the trends and how they can impact um, how schools operate and so on. So, and, and I, I follow some of those people um, that I think they, um, I think they basically, they're more politicians and less teachers and, and the, the, the way they speak, the way mm -hmm. they write also changes completely. They use more you know, political uh, jargon, and and you can feel that you can feel that they they they're not where they were. Obviously, we all change, we all develop, you know, we all grow professionally. But at the same time, um, I feel that losing this connection is as exactly as you said is probably continuing the same problem that we have, where people who make those decisions do not actually understand what exactly is the problem. So. Um, so now regarding the um, uh regarding the book so the book is called teaching the the title of the book is teaching in the fourth um industrial revolution so i i saw that um it was co-authored by um five uh recognized um teachers like yourself by the global teacher prize um and mm -hmm. and so i was wondering first of all why did you decide to write this book yeah, that's a great question. It, it, it ties right back to what we were talking about before. So as all of us were finalists for the Global Teacher Prize, and all of us have had access in different spaces to people who are making decisions at the highest level of international education policy. And what we noticed was that those decisions were being driven by people who had no practical classroom experience. And so as uh, six practitioners, uh, five of us are classroom teachers and, and one of us is a principal. Uh, as practitioners, we decided that with technology advancing so rapidly and with so much of the discussion being how are we going to implement artificial intelligence and biotechnology and machine learning into our schools, uh, we thought it was really important to give a practitioner's perspective on what the future of education is going to look like in this technologically, uh, in, in this time of technological advancement. And so each of us took different aspects of that topic, and we put together uh, the book that came out, uh, which has been widely acclaimed. It's been supported by UNESCO and, and world leaders from around the world, uh, which is which is kind of humbling. And uh, and our, I think we came at this at this problem or this this topic from a very different perspective than those who are outside the classroom, because a lot of the talk was how do we leverage this technology to make education better. And we felt that that conversation was was skewed. It was it was wrong. That the conversation needed to be how do we incorporate technological innovation into what we know are the most important aspects of education, and that is humanity, empathy, compassion, relationships. How do we keep those relationships strong in our classrooms so that kids are learning for all the right reasons, and bring in the technological advancement? Um, how do we? use technology to empower kids to make the world a better place 
instead of just using technology to um, enrich in ourselves or to drive our economies. And that's really those are really the topics that we explore in the book. Mm -hmm. And and which topic did you uh, mostly focus on, or did you focused on all of them? It was because uh, I, I didn't understand if each one of you wrote like a couple of chapters, or or was it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so uh, I, I wrote two chapters. Uh, I wrote the first chapter in the book, which is uh, education in a time of rapid change. Um, and so it very much looks at the broader view of everything that I just discussed. Uh, and then the third chapter in the book is also mine, where I look at how technological expansion and technological innovation is driving how we use data in schools uh, and some of the equity gaps that are being created, because with every new technological innovation comes equity issues. Um, some people have access, other people don't. And uh, as as advancement happens, those with access uh, become uh, more and more powerful, have more and more access. Uh, and those without, um, obviously, you know, are, are further and further behind. If we look at the world right now, uh, there are self-driving cars in Pittsburgh here in my home state of Pennsylvania uh, on the road. If you call an Uber, you know, a self-driving car may come pick you up. But 17% of the world still lives without electricity. And so as... As technology like we're using right now to record this podcast um, becomes more and more available, we're going to have a, a, a more global world. And so global inequity is going to impact us more than it ever has before. And how do we, how do we handle that in schools? How do we use our schools not only to, uh, to overcome those equity gaps, but how do we make our schools more equitable at the same time by using data well? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And um, uh, so I was um, I was listening to another podcast from the Stanford Entrepreneurs Learning Corner, I think, um, or, or like something like this. Anyway, um, so and there was one uh, one really important um, uh, technology company uh, founder who sold for a really large amount. Um, he sold his company to Microsoft, and um, and he was saying that you know. Uh, after the point where he he sold you know his personal uh financial problems he has more money than he needs and and so do his children and so on he said like what am i going to do i don't remember his name um but anyway he said i'm going to help schools and and he started uh, in in his presentation he he was explaining how um you know he started speaking with uh, school administrators and board members and so on and and through this process um he started speaking with many teachers as well and And he realized that, you know, coming from the tech space and you know, the, the technology space, he was very familiar with anything that had to do with, you know, software and applications and how you invite people to use those and how you make it, you know, you make it easy for them through design and all of those things. And he discovered something which really, I, I don't know, it struck me when I when I, I, I heard that. So he said that most of the companies that develop ed tech, so uh, technology solutions for schools and for education, They they just develop it in 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 a sense um, like they, they don't ask the teacher who is going to be the one using that with the with the children in the classroom um, how how that could work or if that could work or if this whatever the the software is if this actually solves a real uh, problem or it really facilitates the 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 way that you know, the teacher uh, is, is teaching. And so it, it became really obvious for, for, for him that basically the way that we understand ed tech is, is completely wrong. Like we need to start from the teachers mm -hmm. who have the, the, the needs, the problems, they, they have the, they understand what exactly could be improved. And then 
we can combine, uh, like we can bring together the teachers with people that know how to create solutions that do solve those problems. Because obviously the teachers themselves, they're not designers, they're not developers, so they cannot design a software. Of course they can, but but it's not their, like the, 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 the core skill, they, the, let's say. So, so bringing them together and basically creating a completely new new way for creating um, uh, technologies for the education uh, space. So, so he he said that basically this is the strategy that's going to make um, technology accessible and easy and user friendly in schools, and it's going to really benefit everyone. So, what are your thoughts about this? Yeah, there's there's a lot to unpack there. So, let me. Let me start by um, taking the piece between uh, teacher input and, and educational technology companies. I think if you ask the average teacher right now what some of the problems that they're seeing manifest in their classroom are, uh, among you know, right at the top of that list would be social emotional issues, mental health issues. Um, children are not well. They're not holistically well in school. And unfortunately, technology is not a great solution for that. Um, as a matter of fact, Technology can actually make that much worse. You know, our children right now are struggling to to deal with actual reality, and yet we're trying to give them virtual reality. Um, we need to we need to help them be well first. And you know, the best use of technology in schools is to help children overcome some of the problems that are caused by technology in schools, right? <laughs> which is which is a way of saying, um, you know, if if technology is only being used for its own sake. Um, you know, or for the sake of trying to um, make sure that kids are technologically, re technologically relevant because the workplace that they're going out, to, out into is going to require that, um, we're really missing the point, right? Because all of those things that we talked about before, those equity gaps, and, um, you know, th they're all still going to be in play. But if we are encouraging children to build relationships and make their world a better place through technology, then it's giving them the skills that they need to uh, to make our society better over time and to solve some of those issues. Um, so, you know, I'm a big believer in video conferencing. So I, I teach in a, in a rural area where there's not a whole lot of foreign languages spoken. There's not a whole lot of religious or ethnic diversity. Uh, and so my children could grow up in this rural area having never experienced someone who is different than them. And yet the world requires that they're going to have that they're going to they're going to need cultural competencies and they're going to need to be able to navigate a, a much more interconnected world with lots of people who are different. And so we use tools like Skype and Google Hangout and Zoom. And uh, there's a great um, new nonprofit startup called Empatico uh, that allow my students to connect with others around the globe so that they can meet people who are different. And some of the some of the most important service projects and uh, and educational experiences that I've become known for, that were, you know, that were the basis of the reason I was teacher of the year and, and ended up a finalist for the Global Teacher Prize, uh, came out of my students developing relationships with kids who are very different and then working together to overcome problems. So one example, you know, about six or seven years ago, I had a group of kids um, who was practicing for a school, um, a school concert. They were singing St. Patrick's Day songs. And their normal rehearsal would have been in the cafe gymatorium where they would have sang to empty walls just to practice. And I talked with the music teacher, and instead we set up a Skype call where they sang for a group of kids in the Kabira slum of Nairobi. So Kabira is about 10 square miles. It has over a million people, um, terribly abject poverty that are, that's tough for us as Americans to imagine. Uh, but both groups of students sang to each other. And afterwards, my students came to me with tears in their eyes, and they said, Mr. Soskal, 
we see the conditions that those children are learning in and they're so happy and joyful and their songs were beautiful, but their, their school doesn't look like ours. Our school is beautiful. And, um, and there's, you know, it doesn't look quite the same. We need to do something to help them. And I challenged my students at that point to do two things. One, to come up with a way that they thought that they could help uh, their new friends in Kibera. But also I told them, I want you to find a way to ask for something in return so that those children in Kenya know how much we value them as well. And what came out of that was a, an exchange. My students used math materials that we had here, here in our school that weren't available in Kibera to create short three or four minute videos teaching math conceptually the same way that I taught them in the classroom. So for my students, they benefited because we know that you learn more when you teach. Um, so they were teaching their new friends. Um, but also they were, they were providing a service for the kids in Kenya who didn't have access to those materials. But in return, they asked the children in Kenya to teach us Swahili because there's not a whole lot of foreign languages spoken in our town. And every week we would get a video back from the kids in Kenya teaching us Swahili and we'd play it on the morning news broadcast so the entire school could, could see it. Uh, and my fifth graders would make math videos. And over a period of a couple of months, this went fantastic. And then we had a call where we were talking about what curriculum needs they had in math. And my students were talking with the school director. And he took us outside with a camera and he showed us the slum. And then he showed us the pipes that brought water into the school. And they were garden hoses that were duct taped together, taped to PVC pipes. And he said, you know, during the rainy season, some of the pit toilets in the slum overflow and some bad stuff gets into the water and our kids get sick. And for my students, this was their friends. You know, their friends were getting sick because of dirty water. And immediately they said, we need to do something to, to help to solve this problem. And so my students partnered with uh, other kids in our district and children in Greece and Trichology Greece and um, kids in Andover, Kansas. And they raised money for water filters. And they ended up raising over $12,000 to put water filters in two schools in the slum and also to send every one of their friends home with a filter that could protect their family at home so that they wouldn't get cholera. Um, and those are the kinds of experiences that can, like without technology, that never, never would have been possible. But that's a very different use of ed tech than putting kids on a computer that, um, that you know, assesses their academic needs without the help of a teacher. So, you know, it's, it's relationship building and humanity and empathy and compassion that are, that are the most important things that we do in school. And if we can use technology to enhance those experiences and create experiences that weren't possible before, that's great. But if we're just using technology because it's a cool tool and we think it's going to be engaging, uh, it doesn't it doesn't really help the educational experience as much as we'd like to think it does. Yeah, yeah, that's actually a really good story. Um, I I saw some of the the things you you you've been doing, um, and I I saw that you're you're actually one of the few people who are at least the, the ones that I know of, um, that, that are actually doing this at an international level. So um, I, was, um, I was listening to one of the podcast episodes, the podcast that you have. So um, the, the, you were hosting, um, I think, another teacher, if I remember correctly. And, um, and you, you mentioned in the podcast something that you can mention here as well for any uh, teachers or educators that are listening to, our, to this episode, that you're planning a trip for basically give, beyond the technological con like connectedness, let's say, actually giving the opportunity to some of the, the people that can influence, um, the, 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 that can generate projects or, or initiatives like the one you just you were just presenting, um, just taking them with you and 
for meeting face to face, seeing the, the real the, the real situation uh, over there. Um, I, I'm not sure if if you were going to the same location or another location, but I remember you mentioned something about a trip um, to um, to somewhere outside the U.S. So so maybe you can, since you just mentioned that, maybe it would make sense to to mention also um, the the trip you're planning. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, as you mentioned, I am a podcast host as well, uh, I, along with Diane Smokorowski, who is the 2013 Kansas State Teacher of the Year. Uh, we host the Education for a Better World podcast, um, focused on trying to bring excellent educators who are, uh, who are making the world a better place. We try and bring them on our podcast and talk to them and let them explain to our listeners exactly how they're doing that. But one thing that Diane and I realized early on is that in order for teachers to uh, to learn, they need experiential learning. They need to actually experience um, some different things. And if we want teachers to understand what it's like to teach in a very different environment than here in the United States, uh, it's important for us to bring them to that environment. And so we've partnered with Book Bag Tours um, to bring 30 teachers over to Kenya in June of 2020. Uh, and this is going to be, you know, th there are going to be some great travel experiences. We're going to bring them on safari and do the things that you would normally do in Kenya. Uh, but most important for me is that we are going to put them in situations where they are going to learn from their Kenyan counterparts. And it's very much going to be a learning experience. It's not going to be, um, you know, slum tourism or anything like that, you know, that, that sometimes you see. Uh, we're going to get these teachers into schools to learn from teachers who are who are doing real work um, in different situations. So we know that um, Mike Wamaya was a um, top 10 finalists for the Global Teacher Prize. He teaches ballet to kids in the slum. Some of his kids have gone on to, to the Royal Ballet uh, when they grew up not having any shoes, um, which is which is pretty incredible. So we're going to have our teachers go and learn from him. Uh, Ayub Mohammed teaches uh, in Nairobi, not in, not in Kibera, uh, in a different part of Nairobi. But he uses education to overcome um, when students are, are sometimes uh, looking at getting involved in extremist groups uh, and, and fall into that... Um, into groups that, that use violent extremism. He uses education to steer them in a different direction. So we're gonna go and visit him. Uh, and we're also gonna visit some of the schools that I've worked with previously that, um, that were involved in that video exchange, uh, like the Cheery Children Education Center. And we're also planning a conference where we are gonna bring in a bunch of Kenyan educators, uh, teachers and otherwise, who are looking at the new Kenyan curriculum framework, which is focused on empowering and engaging uh, ethical citizens. And we're going to put together a conference on that theme so that um, the Americans that are coming over will be a part of this conference and will have to look at education from a very different perspective. So we want this to be a learning experience for those who go along with us. Um, but we also want them to have some of those great travel experiences that you would expect if you're going to you know, take a piece of your summer of course, to go somewhere else. Of course. It's a really great initiative. I, I don't know if there are many, uh, many other such initiatives and people can like where people can participate, but it feels like, you know, you are the right person. You have the right experience. And, and you, <laughs> if someone wants to go, they should go with you. That that's my, my understanding. So um, now, okay. Uh, just one last question regarding the technology aspect, the ed tech um, discussion we're, um, we're having right now. So, a lot of people are talking about AR, so augmented reality and vir virtual reality, and and they're saying that um, basically this is going to to make the world uh, completely like it would uh, it will feel like you can be anywhere and you can be next to everyone or anyone, and and that's going to create a tremendous um, uh, a huge explosion in the opportunities we have for creating. 
um, you know, on a more human level, on a more emotional level, uh, this connection between people across the world. So obviously, it, it, this depends on, on how well the technology works and how well it will work over time. Right now, we, obviously, we all know that we're not yet there and AR, VR is still like a, just an interesting project and like an interesting technology, but it hasn't yet um, it, it's not able to generate those, those the, that sort of impact. So, but but what's your take about on this technology? Like, what, what do you think? Where do you think it will evolve if it evolves? Um, you know, and and if it influences education. Yeah. So I I think as with any technological innovation, if we let market forces run their course. Um, those who develop technology will do so in order to make the greatest amount of profit, uh, which is fine. You know, uh, there's uh, th that is certainly a driving force for innovation, and we need some aspect of that. But we also need to balance the needs of society um, with that economic advancement. And so, left unchecked um, and without any focus on overcoming some of the issues that are created. I think that leads us to a dark place. Um, and we've seen, you know, uh, how many dystopian novels and, and movies have shown us what the effects yeah, are. Yeah. <laughs> right. You know, everything from, from Blade Runner to, you know, Fahrenheit 451 to you, yeah. you name, you name the, the novel, right. You know, so we, we know, we know what that looks like. Um, but, but I, I'm, I tend to be pretty optimistic and I don't think that necessarily has to be our future, but I do think that in order to, to create a different narrative around what might happen, it has to start in education and it has to start with kids looking at how we can use these technologies for good. And so I, you know, I, I love, I love the idea of, you know, virtual reality and, um, you know, augmented reality in schools, uh, provided that it is not simply used as a new teaching tool, but that we present it to kids and say, okay, look, this is pretty cool. How could you use this to make the world better? How could you use this to make your community better? How could we provide learning experiences for others that help them in some way, you know, and, and maybe it ends up being something like, you know, kids who are learning gardening, uh, teach others how to garden through virtual reality and, and make that uh, experience, you know, available. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know what it would look like. And, and really, and, and really that would have to, that would really strongly depend on what those students are interested in because um, learners need to be in charge of learning in order for these things to happen. It can't be a teacher dictating to them. Um, so I, I think that there is space for that kind of, um, for that kind of technological innovation to be in schools. But what I worry about is when that technology is provided to schools uh, because it's um, because it makes some yeah. money, right? Like it's being marketed to schools right now by companies who are profiting. Um, hey, get this into your school because this, this is going to do X, Y, and Z for your kids. And we know that that isn't the case. How many, how many Chromebooks and iPads are laying around in schools that went one-to-one being unused or being used just to um, just to fill out worksheets that could have been done by hand, right? You have an $800 worksheet in front of a kid now um, because schools don't know what to do with this technology. It was sold to them as you need to have this in order to prepare your kids for the future, but there's no real preparation going on. It's it's um, kids, you know, using things for all the wrong reasons. So I, I really think it starts with it starts with educators being very intentional about what is the purpose of education? Why are we doing what we do in schools? Um, and that purpose has to include something more than just getting kids prepared for the economy, something more than just them being college and career ready. It has to be preparing kids to be happy and healthy in life holistically. Uh, and college and career ready is a small part of that, um, but it is not the entire, it's not the entire ballgame. 
Um, and you know, technology needs to be inserted into that equation in ways that help kids be holistic, holistically well, uh, and make their world yeah, better place. Yeah, I think I, I think your your overall um, like viewpoint on on making sure that whatever we do, regardless if this is like a, the new cool thing or the the most traditional and old fashioned methodology that we we've ever used that it makes sense for the children that you help others that you you make the world a, a better place and I, i think it's a really really good um um starting point because it helps you evaluate whatever comes through your door and and the thing <laughs> i was just smiling if you could see me i was smiling uh, when you were mentioning that they have an 800 $800 worksheet in front of them because you know we we speak like we work with 200 <laughs> schools and we speak with many prospective schools that are in interested in you know attracting more parents and obviously um since we are having these conversations i the initial conversation we have with them we always ask them so you know what what have you done recently like as innovations or new things or things that you're really proud of um and very often i, I hear this answer we have chromebooks and And then they stop. They, they don't say anything else. And I'm like, and what do you do with the Chromebooks? And they're like, I, I don't know. Um, you know, um, we, we just have them. You know, we're a modern school. And so, you know, we have these, sometimes there are conversations where obviously they feel a bit strange about this because, you know, they're seeking out, uh, reaching out to us for, for help. And it turns out that we tell them that, hey, you know, that, that investment probably is not going to pay out. It's not going to have a good ROI. So, right. um, you know, and, and then when you open the conversation about personal, like teacher uh, professional development, teacher training and doing other things that are going to develop your school and are going to make your school more attractive, um, if you're struggling and you're having a hard time to attract uh parents then it becomes um you know it becomes a more difficult discussion because it's not so obvious it's not just paying an invoice and i don't know bringing innovation to your school um you know through those laptops or or ipads or, or what have you so anyway so that basically brings us to 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 the last part of this um um this conversation uh which is Uh, like I said, we work with many schools. We um, we we have now a Facebook group of 1,150, I think, today um, school administrators and school founders who are following, you know, uh, trying to learn and, and trying to improve their school. Um, we also have a huge email list, and and this podcast is going to be distributed to to all of those places. So a lot of people are going to be interacting with this, and I think that this conversation is has has been great because you. You have a completely unique uh, point of view in in all of those uh, issues that we were talking about. So, if you were in a, sitting in front of a school administrator or a school founder, and and they would ask you, so you know, what would be the one or two or three things that you would you would recommend that I look at, or where should I focus more? If you if you were a consultant for that for that school, what would you advise them to do? Obviously, every school is unique. Every school has different challenges, different locations. But at the more high level, what would be the priorities you would you recommend they look at? Yeah, that is a fantastic question. And actually, I just gave a presentation at the National School Board Association conference uh, on this very topic. I was speaking to school board members about what they could do in their schools. So this is this is very timely. Um, So how we started that conversation and what I would tell your listeners is let's examine your school mission statement first, because that's, that is your statement saying that, you know, what you believe as a district and what you want to do. 
And I would bet that most school mission statements of your listeners have one of uh, several different things in them, uh, that we want to create lifelong learners, that we want good citizens, that we want contributing members of society, that we want high quality uh, teaching and learning. Um, you know, our, our school mission statements are basically the same. But if you look at the practices that go on in our schools, they're not necessarily reflective of the things that we say that we want to do. You know, we talk about citizenship, but you can't, you can't develop good citizens without children having the opportunity to be citizens of their own schools and classrooms. And yet very rarely do we give kids the kind of choices that will uh, allow them to learn how to be good citizens. Um, and so I, I think the first step for any school leader in trying to look at how they can affect positive change in their building to bring about the kinds of things we're talking about starts with examining your school mission statement and, and being honest with yourself about whether the practices in school meet um, or, or are working towards the things that you say that you believe in. And so once we start looking at things like citizenship and turning over learning to students, creating lifelong learners, um, you know, empowering kids, it means that adults have to have to take a little bit of a back seat. Um, you know, not not that not that adults should not be leaders in the school. It's, I'm, I'm not saying that we should let kids run amok. That's that's not at all the intention. But learners should be in charge of the learning. Right. The learning that happens in my classroom can only happen if my students are motivated. <laughs> um, they're not, you know, yeah. me telling them to learn is, does not, uh, is not motivating, yeah. right? Like it just doesn't happen. It doesn't happen for anyone. And we, and we know this, right? You know, how many of us were told to read certain books in school and we refused to read them or hated reading them or didn't learn them. Uh, but we can pick up that same book as an adult. And when we have interest in reading it, it's fantastic, right? We love it. You know, Pride and Prejudice comes to mind for me. I, I refuse to read it in school. And, and when I picked it up as an adult, I was like... <laughs> right. <laughs> I re I refused. Yeah, I refused to read it myself as well. Yeah. Right. And then I read it as an adult. I was like, oh, this is fantastic. Right. You know. Yeah. But it was because I chose to read it. Right. So when we don't give students any autonomy or choice over their learning, it's hard for them to develop all of those other things that we're talking about. And then once once we start giving students agency, um, we have to allow them to use that agency for the right reasons. And that goes back to everything that we were talking about before. Um, they need to be allowed to look at look at their world, uh, their local and global community, and look at the problems that they see that they care about solving. And, you know, so often we are taught as teachers to start with the curriculum and then to find cool ways to teach it. And I think that that's totally wrong. I think that what we should do is start with really incredible experiences that make kids want to beat down the doors of our classroom to get in. Um, and once we start with those amazing learning experiences, then it's our job as educators and teachers to embed the curriculum into those experiences. And if we do that, our kids will never forget because we know that that learning only happens, you know, we can only transfer content from our short-term to long-term memory if we have an emotional attachment and an emotional connection with what we're learning. And so if we start with the experience and then be creative as, as teachers in getting the curriculum into those experiences, it allows all of these other things to happen. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, and I had a, uh, I, I'm sure that many people have uh, uh, an experience that basically validates exactly what you were mentioning just now, uh, where I, I, I was not really good at school. And, and for years, I thought that it was my problem. Turns out that I was really good at history and language because the teachers at history and language, they were amazing. They, I still consider them as two of the most important people that I have met in, ever in my life. So um, I think that if you do a great job, you know, people will, will actually 
get this value and they will transfer it to others. And so the, the impact augments tremendously. Um, but, but if you choose the wrong people and, and you have the wrong people at the right, wrong positions using the wrong strategies, that doesn't take you very far. And basically, you know, you have the, the situations that we know of um, in, in the schools in, in the US and in many other countries, because as you can understand from my accent, I'm, I'm not um, originally from the US, I am from Greece. Um, and so I, but I lived in five countries. So I've, I've gone through school systems like in multiple countries and I can, I can guarantee that this is not a US problem. This is a problem that we see everywhere. Mm-hmm. So having the right people and, and, you know, having the right, the motivation to do what you were just describing. Right? Um, I like uh, the sentence you, you used a couple of times, embedding the curriculum into the experiences and basically not do, trying to do the opposite. Um, so, so um, Michael. Yeah. yeah. So that's, that's actually, um, you know, one of the things that I'm focused on right now is um, working with teachers and school districts in helping them do just that. Uh, take global learning experiences, uh, take these incredible um incredible experiences that we can create for kids and teaching teachers how they can take, uh, can embed their curriculum into that. And so providing that kind of professional development for schools and teachers is something I'm really passionate about and something that I'm, I'm starting to spend more of my energy focusing on. That's great. So Michael, thank you very much for your time. It's been a really interesting discussion. So um, I don't know exactly when this episode is going to go, uh, is going to be live, but probably within the next couple of weeks or three, four weeks maximum. Um, so I'll, I'll ping you in the, in the interwebs as another famous podcaster says, <laughs> um, so that you can, you can share it with your audience and, I'll make sure that we share it with our audience. So thank you very much for your time and looking forward to having you on the podcast again. Yeah, thanks for having me. Ask me back anytime. I'd love to do it. Thanks. Thank you for listening to School Growth Mastery, brought to you by Enrollhand. If you like what you heard, please do subscribe to our show and share this episode with your fellow educators. You can support us by leaving us a positive review on iTunes or your preferred podcasting app. That way, more school leaders like you will find us. If you want to learn more about school growth, visit our website at enrollhand.com and please do check out the links in the show notes of this episode. Until next time, goodbye for now.